Well, wherever you are joining us from today, we are so thankful that you are here with us at North Star. If you and I have never had the opportunity to meet, my name is Casey Lynch, and I have the privilege and honor of working with our high school students here at North Star. And I'm so excited to be here because we're continuing in our Fruit of the Spirit series that we've been in the last few weeks. And if you haven't had the opportunity to be with us, if this is your first time, I would highly encourage you to head head back on YouTube or head to our website and go and watch the past few weeks because the really cool thing about the fruit of the Spirit and these things that Paul talked about in the book of Galatians is these are incredibly applicable to our lives. We've been looking at each one and diving into it and seeing just how you and I can begin to apply them to our walk with Christ. You know, it's not one of those things where we learn it once and we talk about it once and we're set for the rest of our lives, but in fact, these are things that we have to implement and be aware of on a daily basis. And so when we have the opportunity to go through and look at the fruits as we have the past few weeks, man, it can be such an encouragement and it can be such a help in our walks. And so I would love if you and I took a look at that passage out of Galatians 5 in verse 22 where Paul lays out for us what the fruit of the Spirit is. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Today, we're gonna be focusing in on one towards the back end that he describes right there, gentleness. And I think it's really important that you and I set a definition for what gentleness is because the way that Paul wrote about it thousands of years ago and the way that Jesus lived it is not the way that we interpret gentleness in 2020. Often when we hear that word, we get a little tense because we think of it as being weak, uh, we think of it as being passive, and it doesn't really correlate. But that's not the way that scripture and biblical gentleness is laid out for us. And so, since it's almost time to head back to school, I thought it would be great if you and I headed over to the whiteboard and we set out a definition of gentleness that we're going to be using for the rest of our time together and hopefully that you will be able to use for the rest of your walk because gentleness is handling people with care. See, gentleness is not just being weak. Gentleness is not just being passive and allowing life to pass us by as we kind of stand off to the sideline. That's not the way that Jesus did ministry. That's not the way that Jesus lived his life. But gentleness is handling people with care and it's strength under control. I believe that it takes more strength to be under control than it does to be abrasive, there's a whole lot more that has to go into that of controlling and harnessing our emotions. The great pastor at uh, Saddleback Church, amazing author, Rick Warren, says this, abrasive is never persuasive. And so if you think that the opposite of gentleness is this abrasiveness and that's what we need to do to get our point across and that's how we really need to drive home something, we're missing the point. 
because that's not the way that scripture lays it out for us. In fact, Jesus gives us a really great example of what it looks like to live out gentleness in John 8. And so I would love if you would head to your North Star app, if you've got your Bible with you, whatever you've got, we're gonna be in John 8 today. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, you flip past those in the New Testament, you're gonna find yourself in John. And we're gonna find Jesus in a setting that is not uh, familiar to him in his ministry. As great as Jesus was, as he came here and knew no sin, during his life on earth, there was a lot of people that did not agree with his ministry and they did not agree with the way that he went about things. And we get that on full display right here. They wanted to trip him up and they wanted to catch him in a scenario and in a setting where they could point to and go, see, he isn't who he claims to be. So that's what uh, they are trying to do in this time right here. So John 8, we're gonna begin in verse one. It says this. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat, and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Their entire goal was to try to catch Jesus in a moment where he has to have a conflicting view with what the law had laid out, what Moses had said. And so that was their goal for putting him in this scenario as they interrupt his teaching. But Jesus says this in verse six. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against them, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. We're gonna go back to that in just a moment. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. Now, scripture doesn't exactly clarify what Jesus was writing in the dust that day. Many scholars believe that Jesus was beginning to write into the dust the sins of the Pharisees and the religious leaders that had gathered during that time, the ones that were there to stone that woman, they believed that Jesus was writing in the dust their, their own shortfalls and their own sins. We don't know exactly what happened, but it was enough to cause this reaction that we see in verse nine. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman, because Jesus knew no sin. Therefore, he was the last one standing there. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, what Jesus displays for us right here is biblical gentleness. But he's not passive about the situation. In fact, Jesus is very involved, not only with the Pharisees that were ready to stone this woman and put her to death, but also in his pointed conversation with this woman. And so for the next few moments that you and I have together, we are going to look at lessons from Jesus about gentleness. Because the reality is, Handling people with care, living this out, it's not always something we do well. 
But my hope and my prayer is but by the time of our uh, time together today, when we wrap up, that we will be able to walk away living out gentleness just as Jesus did. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather. Uh, We thank you for this opportunity to go back and look at such an incredible moment in time and see what it looks like to truly live out gentleness. Because God, you are not calling us to be weak. You are not calling us to stand on the sideline. In fact, you're calling us to something that's very, very opposite of that. And I pray as we dive into these lessons from Jesus about gentleness together, that we would walk away at the end of our time together with a better understanding and a brand new lens on what it looks like to handle people with care and to live out gentleness as a fruit of the Spirit. And so we give these next few moments to you. We love you and we thank you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. All right, so let's dive in together because I think there's some really neat things that you and I can begin to take away from what Jesus has to say about gentleness. The first lesson that we can begin to take away is that I always keep my own weaknesses in full view. I always keep my own weaknesses in full view. If you like to take notes off to the side, whether it's on an iPad or a piece of paper, whatever it may be, underneath point number one, would you just write the word humility? Because if we have humility, we are going to be able to keep our own weaknesses in full view. But humility was exactly what the Pharisees and the religious leaders at this time were lacking in this moment. Let's go back and check out verse seven that we just read. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and wrote again in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. See, the Pharisees of the time had completely lost sight of their own shortfalls. Their sin that they had committed at some point was no longer registering in this moment. They were just ready to take care of the sin of this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. When we begin to lose sight of our own sin, when we begin to elevate ourselves, and when we begin to compare the way that we live to the life of somebody else is often when we find ourselves getting ready for a dark place and getting ready for trouble. Because we're no longer keeping our weaknesses in full view. We're only wanting to expose the weaknesses of other people. We're so hyper-focused on calling out what they can't do right and the way that they live, we lose sight of the places that we fall short. It's exactly what's happening in this moment. These leaders that had gathered together were not going to display strength under control, nor did they care anything about handling this situation with care. They wanted to take judgment and they wanted to execute that judgment on this woman that was caught in the act of adultery. But that's not how Jesus has called us to live. I love this passage that we're gonna see right here out of Ephesians 4, 2. It says this, always be humble and gentle. 
Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. See, that word there at the end, love, is going to be a critical part of understanding and applying gentleness to our lives because if there is no love, gentleness is gonna be really hard to come by. It's gonna be really hard to live out. But when we have love for other people, that humility and that gentleness, man, they, it begins to resonate with us a little more. And it allows us to keep in mind the places that we've fallen short in our own lives. And when we begin to think about how people would wanna treat us, gentleness can take on a completely different thought process. Here's the second lesson that we can take away together out of John 8. Extend to others the same grace that Jesus has shown me. In verse 10, it says this, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. I think there's moments where we really scratch the surface on what grace actually is. And you could spend an entire series in diving into God's grace and how it applies to our lives and how desperately we need it. But we've just gotta sometimes take the step back and let the fact sink in that you and I are all sinners that have been saved by grace if we have a relationship with Christ. And when we begin to think about that emotion of being saved by grace, there's some emotions that can stir within us of hope and joy and a promise. Those are exciting and positive emotions. And what scripture tells us is that those should be the same emotions that people feel in those moments where we're having maybe some tough conversations about where somebody's fallen short in their own life and the sin in their lives or we're telling somebody about the sin that's taking place within our, within our lives. We hope that there's going to be, man, just a steadiness to the moment. We don't want to feel hurt. We don't want people um, to feel like a rain cloud has completely come over the moment. We've got to extend to others the same grace that Jesus has shown us. And here's the reality, guys. Godly grace never discriminates. Godly grace doesn't look at this situation and decide that it deserves grace, but this one does not. There is no discrimination when it comes to grace. Therefore, there should be no discrimination to grace within our own lives. And yet, it's not always easy to do. Why? Because people frustrate us. We don't understand people's motives and actions a lot of the time. It's funny, this week I was preparing to talk about gentleness and handling people with care. That was what my mind was focused on. I was riding during the week and it was about midweek I decided to go out for dinner because I was just tired of cooking. 
and I headed to one of my favorite local spots and I'm standing in our socially distanced line and I get all the way to the front after standing behind this large group of teenagers until one of their friends comes sliding in and just cuts right in front of me. And in that moment, I was not ready to display grace or gentleness or anything that was biblical, all right? I was hungry and I was ready to go. And then I looked down and remembered I had a North Star t-shirt on and I should probably just not say anything at all. But people frustrate us, guys. People hurt us, people confuse us, people disappoint us. And because of that, because of those human emotions that can take place, we often don't wanna extend that grace to other people. But Ephesians 4.32 says this, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now that sounds great coming from scripture and it sounds great maybe when we are in a spiritual mindset watching a service on a Sunday, but that is a lot harder to display during the course of our week where people just frustrate us. But I don't think that that was pinned in the book of Ephesians and I don't think Jesus lived that out by any accident. We have the opportunity to extend the same grace that Jesus has shown us and show it to other people and it could be somebody's first glimpse of Jesus. It could be the first time that they've had any interaction with somebody who's displaying a Christ-like quality, somebody who's living out the fruits of the Spirit. And it could completely change the course of their lives. So godly grace doesn't discriminate, so why should our grace discriminate? Why should we pick and choose who we wanna extend grace to? Because that's not what Jesus did in this moment. But there was a, a balance as well, and we're gonna see that in our third point. We've gotta speak the truth in love. We've gotta speak the truth in love. John 8, 11, as Jesus is concluding this pretty incredible moment out of scripture, he says this, go and sin no more. You see, he doesn't just have this interaction with the Pharisees where he tells them, you know, if there's no sin in your life, you can be the first one to cast stone and they walk away and then Jesus just goes off. He leaves the woman who was in the center of the story with a pretty strong commandment to go and to sin no more. Jesus wasn't undermining her sin. Jesus wasn't just brushing her sin off to the side of the story. He spoke the truth, but he did it in a loving way. He was able to find that balance of truth and love. And we have a really hard time doing this in the world that we live in today because usually the way that we interpret a situation like this is that that person no longer loves me. If there's any kind of conflict, if there's any kind of disagreement, there can no longer be love. 
But the reality is, confrontation doesn't have to lead to condemnation. Those two things do not have to work hand in hand. And they didn't in the life of Jesus. I love this thought from Warren Wearsby, who's an incredible Christian scholar and author. He says this, law and grace don't compete with each other. They complement each other. Nobody was ever saved by keeping the law, but nobody was ever saved by grace who was not first indicted by the law. There must be conviction before there can be a conversion. See, Jesus wasn't just letting this lady off easy. He was telling her exactly what she needed to hear. So what's that mean for you and I? Through gentleness, through handling people with care, we've gotta be able to balance truth, biblical truth, and love. You see, we should have two goals. For a believer in our lives, for somebody else who proclaims to be a Christ follower that has fallen short, maybe there's sin in their life, the goal should be restoration. Check out this passage out of Galatians 6.1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly, key words there, help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. One of my favorite kind of movies to take, I love boxing movies. I've watched all the Rockies, and now they've got the Creed series coming out. I love boxing movies. And I think boxing's an incredibly fascinating sport for a lot of reasons. One of them is, and it's always on display in these films, is they've trained and they've worked for one moment for a fight that is much shorter in length than the amount of time they've spent training for it. And they'll go out into the center of the ring and they'll box. But at the end of each round, there's a bell that goes off and each fighter gets to retreat to their corners. Now when they go to their corners, they're not sitting there by themselves. They've got a, a whole team of trainers that has been with them the entire time, helping them train, helping them stay focused, laying out a roadmap for that particular fight. And that group of trainers will enter the ring and they'll be getting them water, but they'll be telling the fighter what they exactly need to hear in that moment. They don't just pat them on the back and go, it's not a big deal, you're doing great, don't worry about it. They don't just stand there idly. Oftentimes, they'll be looking eye to eye, telling them exactly what they need to hear because they love them enough for them to stay on the game plan that they had laid out for that particular fight. As believers, we should be in the corner of other believers. We should be there arm in arm with each other. And when somebody falls short, when there's some sin, as that passage just said in somebody's life, Humbly and gently, we should be telling them the truth in love. Not just watching it happen, not just standing there going, man, that's tough luck. But being in their corner and reminding them of the truth because we love them that much. 
But there's some people in our lives that aren't believers, that aren't Christ followers. And the goal for those relationships should be to, for them to find salvation. 2 Timothy 2.25 says this, gently instruct those who oppose truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. We're not going to change their hearts. That's God's job. But something that we often do as Christ followers is we undermine our interactions and we undermine our influence. We don't think we're really that big of a deal and nobody's gonna pay attention to what we're doing. But there's a lot of people out there who don't know Jesus and the interaction they have with you could be the thing that begins to point them to a relationship with Christ. We look at gentleness from a 10,000 foot view and handling people with care and go, okay, I mean, that makes more sense. I, I think I understand. But gentleness can become very personal for you and I when we have a goal for the relationships in our lives. Because there's two people, and we just talked about them. We have people in our lives that are Christ followers, and we have people in our lives that are not. We should have a goal for both of those interactions. We should have a goal for where we want them to be, whether it's restoration or seeing them find salvation through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we have a goal for the relationships in our lives, gentleness and handling people with care and finding strength under control doesn't become hard to display because we are so focused on the people around us. That's what Paul was talking about. That's what Jesus lived out. And that's what we have the opportunity to show our community and show our world of what gentleness can truly look like. Do you guys pray with me? Father, it's not always easy to change the way that we think. And for so long, personally, I've just seen gentleness as being weak and seeing gentleness as being a spectator to something else that's happening and I don't wanna be involved. But that's not what Jesus did in this moment. Jesus handled the people with care, every person that he came into contact with. He showed strength under control. And he had a goal for every interaction he had with another person. Father, I pray that those same principles that have been displayed throughout the course of Scripture would come to life and be applicable in our hearts and in our own lives in the world that we live in in 2020. Because we need gentleness, we need biblical gentleness now more than we ever have. And we need a community and a world of people that have a goal for their interactions, of being in the corner of other believers 
and pointing those who don't know Christ to the one who can ultimately change their lives. My prayer, Father, is that when we view gentleness through that lens and extending the grace that's been shown to us and keeping our own shortfalls and our own sin in full view with a humble heart, that gentleness would no longer be something that we just read about in Scripture, but gentleness would become something that we live out in our days, in our lives, in the world that we are currently in. Father, we thank you for this example, and we thank you for this time. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.